0: The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News.
2: I don't know how many people have have watched the movie Lord of War and what their opinions on it are, but there is a line in there that I feel sums this up perfectly when Nicolas Cage's character says, you know, it's so easy a child could use it, and they do.
0: I'm Reuters Opinion Editor, Jason Fields. And I'm Matthew Galt with War is Boring. With us today is War is Boring contributor, Joseph Trivethick. Today, we're talking about one of the most iconic weapons of war, the AK-47. The Russian rifle is ubiquitous, both on the battlefield and in the movies.
1: You're listening to War College, a weekly discussion of a world in conflict, focusing on the stories behind the front lines. Here's your host, Jason Fields.
0: Joe, can you tell us a little bit about the background of the rifle?
2: Sure. Uh, it's a it's a sort of great Soviet story. Uh, in 1942, uh, Mikhail Kalashnikov, then a member of you know Soviet tank armies. <laughs> Uh, defending the motherland. It gets wounded and gets sent to a hospital in the rear areas. And basically, while he's covalescing, he sketches out the design for a gun. Not the Kalashnikov that we know today, but but a a gun. And the uh, people who are overseeing his treatment basically see a certain amount of technical aptitude. And they decide that they're not going to send him back to the front lines to get chopped up. And instead, they're going to send him to... Basically continue his technical training and, you know, turn him into the, the great engineer for the motherland. And after a few years uh, working with a number of noted uh, Soviet firearms designers, uh, basically conjures up the first sort of prototypes. You know, this is by then it's the the Second World War has ended. Um, the and this uh, is the, hold on, this is
0: Mikhail Kalashnikov, Kalashnikov, right? Yeah. Of, I mean, of
2: the Kalashnikov rifle, the, the, the guy himself, you know, a, a, uh, yeah. in, in, in the Soviet style, you sort of honor the, the man, you know, the, the man behind the design and, uh, you know, he became, you know, he was a, a sort of, national hero uh, he died he died only recently and he was a he continued to be a national hero even after the soviet union had collapsed
1: all right joe what um what guns were the soviets using at that time what was this intended to replace
2: well so the soviets go into the second world war uh with their main infantry weapon being a a derivative of a bolt action rifle a a you know, one one shot, and then you have to, to rack the bolt to fire again. Um, a rifle that had originally been designed in the 1890s for the czar, um, and they had they had uh, shortened it up a bit as as time went on, but that was still basically the, the one of the standard infantry rifles of the time. Uh, they had a number of uh, semi-automatic rifles in in very low numbers of debatable utility and reliability. Um, you know the mechanisms being infinitely more complicated than the uh, bolt-action Mosin-Nagant rifles, and then a slew of uh, basically really dirt cheap, highly reliable submachine guns firing uh, pistol cartridges, small pistol cartridges for use by shock troops and the like for clearing out, you know, trenches, buildings, whatever, you know, in in the assault. Basically, the idea was that the Soviet Army was going to get uh, semi-automatic rifles, but full-size rifles, and then there was going to need to be something to replace submachine guns, these pistol-caliber submachine guns. And in the 40s, during the war, they had captured a number of uh, German prototypes, sort of you know what we would now consider today to be assault rifles, the first of these uh, more compact, fully-automatic weapons that fired... Uh, what people refer to as an intermediate cartridge.
0: Yeah, I actually know the ones you're talking about because, uh, I mean, silly as it may seem, they appear in several first-person shooter games, and they actually look a bit like the uh, actually look a bit like the Kalashnikov.
2: Yeah, the, and and there is uh, perhaps a certain amount of aesthetic that gets carried over, but they're internally quite different from the from the Kalashnikov. They 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 look similar, and clearly, you know, you can tell a good design when the designs that come afterwards copy it. You know, and copy the basic aesthetics and the layout. The layout is similar, but the uh, internals are different. Kalashnikov's design is uh, perhaps a little less German engineering and a little more uh, designed for the Soviet peasant army. And that's sort of the big, the big thing about the Kalashnikov is that it was designed to be utilized by a conscript force that was scrapped up from the villages and could not possibly require a significant amount of routine maintenance. The, you know, what we would say the tolerances are pretty wide on a Kalashnikov. Uh, If you've ever had the opportunity to see one fired in slow motion without the so-called machinery cover at the rear open, which is, possible to do you know it's just a cover for the internals uh larry vicker is a former special forces soldier and firearms uh instructor and just all-around sort of notable gun person has some pretty good uh slow motion footage of the ak on his youtube channel and it you you basically see the entire mechanism when it functions it's wobbling all over the place it's got a lot of room to move it's it's you know there's very little space for things to get clogged in it in such a way that the action gets permanently jammed up and that's sort of the, the was clearly the goal in this design apparently Kalashnikov's first very first gun design was rejected for being too mechanically complex and they sent him back to the drawing board and this is sort of what he came up with
0: so what are the consequences though i mean by having something that sort of has such wide tolerances um, well, it's I'm wobbling around that. a lot. I
2: mean, it, the, basically, the the, uh, the mechanism basically has a lot of freedom of movement, which means that as stuff gets jammed up in there, it can still, you know, it's not going to get squeezed together and, and seize up on you. But it also means that, well, the gun is sort of bouncing around internally and there's not a lot of stability, which then translates to poor accuracy um All sorts of other things. But, you know, the accuracy is the big thing, is that with the action sort of bouncing all over the place, well, that momentum is translated uh, to the barrel, to the shooter. The gun sort of wobbles. And, the uh, you know, the anecdotal joke always was, was that when you fired an AK on fully automatic, the first round went where you aimed, and the second and the third and every other shot after that went, well, somewhere else. And I mean, it, but but when you look at it, I mean, it was designed to, as a replacement for a submachine gun initially. Before becoming the standard Soviet infantry weapon, it was it was a submachine gun, and it was designed to be used by guys who were in very close quarters who just really needed to put a lot of rounds downrange. Um, and these larger intermediate cartridges, which are sort of, you know, in the most bare bones terms sort of halfway between a pistol cartridge and a full power rifle cartridge. And I mean, you know, the, there, there are way more uh, technical differences in there and, and it, it does sort of a disservice to phrase it that way, but that's a, a good way of trying to understand the basic parameters here is that they're, they're little sort of baby rifle cartridges. And, you know, so it gives them well actually a fair amount of power to penetrate armor or, obstacles or anything and so you know it gives the infantrymen in the the close assault a lot of firepower
0: gotcha you know joe i just something just occurred to me we didn't really tell people what the name means because i mean it does mean uh, ak-47 it's
2: for automat automat kalashnikova yeah
0: Right, right. so it's actually named after the guy and uh 47 refers to when it was uh first manufactured though not distributed
2: Right, they're they're the first prototypes actually probably built in '46. I mean, you know, there was a number of prototypes, and Kalashnikov actually the fact that his design was selected practically almost by chance. There were probably almost a dozen other designs of some type also in development, and then a number of self loading uh, carbines and other uh, rifle types that were also in development, and. Uh, from one of the stories that I've seen, apparently Sudiev, another firearms designer, his design was in the lead, uh, and then he had the unfortunate uh, fate of dying in 1944, and then his design sort of fell by the wayside because nobody sort of knew what it was all about. By the 1950s, the uh, AK-47s, the original AK-47s, have been replaced by the improved AKMs, and I forget the exact Russian word for modernized, but the, the M is for modernized, and so... The AKM is really the rifle when most people think about these things that you're talking about AKMs and not really AK-47s, to be a pedantic about it.
1: Where does the AK-74 fall into all of this?
2: The AK-74 is just an AK-47 that uses a slightly smaller bullet. And the Soviets are actually late to this party because the Americans have waffled around with all these little lighter cartridges and very, very small cartridges. And when we adopt the M-16... It's got this this twenty two caliber, the five point five six millimeter cartridge, and well, that's good and not, and, and all these other things, and there are there are debates about the utility of a smaller bullet, and God, people have written books about this, and so I really can't get into the the technical discussion about energy imparting and and you know ballistic well, drop off and the rest of it. Well, but needless but, to but say, be honest,
0: yeah. <laughs> let me be let us be honest though, if we let you. You would get into
2: that. <laughs> uh, actually, I might not, because the people who really get into this, they're, they're uh, scary people to deal with in an Internet comments section. They are they have some pretty uh, strong opinions about what is better, and and I do not. Um, but needless to say, uh, by the 70s, and again, another date, you know, the AK-74, uh, by the 70s, um, NATO has completely transition to these smaller cartridges and well the soviets not wanting to be left behind build an ak that fires their own version of this the 5.45 millimeter instead of yeah instead
1: of the 556 five, right. This,
2: right this is their, and it's it's just it's a very similar cartridge it's a small cartridge um the weapon is basically the same the you know it is an akm that has been scaled down internally. The, the dimensions of the AK-74 are basically the same, um, but it, the internals have been scaled down to fire this smaller cartridge.
0: Can you sort of take us through, I mean, Joe or Matt, I mean, what makes it so popular? I mean, it, it is, I mean, for lack of another term, it's it's the all-time best seller.
2: I don't know how many people have have watched the movie Lord of War and what their opinions on it are, but there is a line in there that I feel sums this up perfectly when Nicolas Cage's character says, you know, it's so easy, a child could use it, and they do. It has become ubiquitous around the world.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash spoken today. So essentially it's, it's, it's rugged. It's easy to use and, there was a large manufacturing infrastructure in the East that was that was set up to make a whole bunch of them, right?
2: Well, every country basically, with the possible exception of the Czech Republic, who, uh, I guess, then Czechoslovakia, who insisted on building their own gun. Um, you know, the East Germans made these, the Polish made these, the Hungarians made everybody, you know, their, their factories were churning out AK derivatives. Uh, the uh, Chinese built copies, North Koreans built copies. I mean, the the sheer volume of factories around the world that were churning these things out, and still are, still are churning these things out, um, is amazing. And by the time you get around to the AKM, they've transitioned from machining the, the basic components out of huge blocks of steel to making them out of steel stampings. And so it's cheap, and it's quick. And then eventually they get rid of the wood furniture and replace it with plastics and bakelite and things like that. And so once you get rid of the wood buttstock and the wood foregrips, well, it's even cheaper. And I mean, these things are dirt cheap to make comparatively to, you know, modern, you know, sort of quote, I guess what you would say, quote unquote, high tech small arms, you know, that you see used today.
1: Then, do you think the reason, Joe, that we see them so often in movies and in pop culture is just because they're everywhere, and because it's it's it has that that kind of iconic look to it? Well, is it um, art
2: imitating life or life imitating art? At that point, a little of both, right? Because, right, it's,
1: it's kind of a feedback loop.
2: You know, if the the historical accuracy pedants who are going to watch movies, in a lot of cases, people would be using AKs. Everybody would be using AKs. AKs are all over the place. It's not, it wouldn't be surprising to see one on a battlefield. Uh, And then, um, especially with the civilian market, there is, you know, in this country, in the United States, especially, the AK has this sort of allure as being that, that uh, unbreakable piece of Soviet engineering. I feel like it should, we should point out that you can break an AK. You know they will break down if they don't get maintained. Eventually, you know, like the, things wear out, parts wear out. That does happen. They're not, they're not indestructible. The the joke about when Mikhail Kalashnikov died of burying him and digging him up a week later to put him back to work. Actually, War Is Boring published a story about Kurds fighting in Iraq who were complaining about their AKs falling apart. And I don't doubt that because I imagine those AKs have, have seen a little bit of combat over the years and probably don't exactly have an armorer who's taking good care of them at the end of the day, you know, whatever, whatever small amount of maintenance is necessary. And people will also, you can go on YouTube and find no shortage of people who, who prove that you can set those uh, front hand guards on fire. If you have wooden hand guards by putting enough bullets through a gun, you know, it heats up and just, well, <laughs> people love doing that. I, it's waste of wood, in my opinion.
0: So, uh, so who uses them now? Uh, I mean, are they
2: still state of the art enough that, I um, mean, they're used widely well, the Russians are still making improvements, and the Russians are looking to introduce their newest version, which I believe they're calling at the moment the uh, the AK-107 or the AK-12. They keep sort of debating how they're going to to phrase these things, um, and and it gets confusing because other manufacturers now in in what are now NATO countries like Bulgaria are also still making them for the for their domestic market and for the export market, and so they have their own uh, AK variants. Uh, so people are still making uh, certain certain improvements to them. The the biggest improvements are finding ways to add these sort of NATO standard accessory rails. And there's this, it's this, you may have seen them, but they're, they look sort of like slots on the side of guns. And the idea is that you can clamp like lights or laser pointers or optics or other things like that to these accessory rails. And they're, it's a standard pattern. And so people, you know, and the uh, original uh, AK rifles uh, did not come with sort of any real provisions for any accessories whatsoever. And, and the uh, original scope mounts that were developed were basically bolted onto one side of the gun and didn't exactly sort of hold the so-called zero, you know, hold the point of aim. So you could reliably believe that it was going to shoot where you were aiming at. And so, you know, th- those are the improvements that people are making. And so there, there are these additions. And, and Soviet Special Forces units, you know, the Spetsnaz, are still using AKs. And they might have the option to go and seek other weapons. And so they are still being used by elite forces in actual, you know, who might actually have a combat situation that they'd run into. So they're definitely still on the front lines also still used by militant groups and other people around the world you know so they're definitely not going away anytime soon in general
1: all right joe what about what about america
2: and its allies well it's sort of an interesting thing you know we we associate the ak primarily with you know as as matt said the east you know the the eastern empire and the the soviet bloc the reliability of the ak it's world renowned it's it's nigh legendary you know it's it's Something that ever you know, if you if you know anything about the AK, you know about its reliability, and there's something to be said for that. So, the United States during the 1960s in Vietnam captured a number of these weapons. Uh, Special operations units like the SEALs put them back into service. You could also potentially dress people up um, as the enemy. You know, gave you the option of sort of pretending to be the enemy the AK has, you know, people say the AK has a very distinctive report. When you shoot one, it sounds like an AK. Soviet ammunition, um, in a sort of odd reversal, the, uh, American tracers burned red and Soviet tracers burned green. And so if you had Soviet ammunition, you might be able to confuse your opponent. So there were benefits to, to having these weapons around. And, there was actually w- at least one instance where the Army rebuilt a number of uh, AKs for special operations units in Vietnam so they could be fitted with uh, sound suppressors. And they sent these sort of silenced AKs back to-, to Vietnam for use on covert operations and the like.
0: Do people just have a preference between the AK-47 and, let's say, the M-16? Or now, I guess it's the uh, the M-4 is the current one. Oh, with, yes. Uh, the-
2: there is yeah. no end to, to personal preferences. Um, and, and I think it's fair to say that, that almost every platform you can find has its pros and cons. I really, really want to steer away from that debate because like I said, people are very passionate about the, the reasons why, why one, one type of gun is garbage and why others aren't.
1: all, all, all right, Joe. Um, how <laughs> about the, how about this then you've, you fired an AK before, yes. correct? How did you find it?
2: putting the immediate caveat that I, I you know fired in a range situation haven't had to do, defend my life with it uh, it works it goes bang you can I, I've never had an AK give me grief I've had other I've had various other types of firearms even in, on the range give me grief and I've never ever shot an AK and had it give me grief um, so there's definitely in my personal experience the reliability has been flawless when it comes to actually hitting what I'm aiming at well the bullets hit the paper at at respectable ranges but in terms of getting all my bullets to go in the same place but then again i don't know how much of that is the fact that i'm a crappy shot so
0: (laughs) yeah that probably wouldn't help um yeah so but i guess that's interesting though because you are talking about the best possible conditions right oh yeah and you're out on a range every i'm assuming the weapons have been recently maintained and clean and even then you've had trouble with other okay so what gave you trouble I mean, now i got to ask.
2: Well, I've had trouble with, with the AR-15 M16 pattern guns, and then I've had trouble with a, a slew of, of uh, sort of, you know, mac 10s, a lot of open-bolt, uh, you know, s- semi-automatic versions and fully automatic submachine guns have given me trouble. But then again, these guns are crude anyways. The thing is, is that especially uh, among civilian shooters, people change parts out people sort of try new things around the variety of, there's no consistency in ammunition. And, you know, if the ammunition is underpowered or doesn't function properly in some other way, well, it affects the whole rest of the action. I mean, there's so many factors, you know, and so the the militaries try to go for consistency, which is probably one of the reasons why the the AK has been so successful and why the U S government loves to train foreign troops still on things like the AK. And we, We buy AKs. You know, there's a whole mechanism that the Army and the Pentagon itself has set up to buy AKs from people who are now our friends and allies, like Bulgaria. And then we we buy them, and then we ship them to places like Afghanistan, you know, and then we train people on how to use them.
0: That's something that they're familiar with, right? I mean, if you're sending it to Afghanistan, it's something they already know as opposed to training them on a different piece of equipment. Of
2: course, the amusing thing is that, you know, because it's not a... An American weapon, and we don't use them on a regular basis. You know, it's referred to in the Pentagon speak as non standard. These are non standard weapons. Apparently, non standard for us, probably standard for a lot of the rest of the world.
0: So, we talked very briefly about, you know, that uh, Russia is constantly trying to improve the gun, uh, even now. But, do you think that there's going to be. a real replacement for the AK47 and uh, additionally I mean if we're going to if there is a replacement I mean what do we see as the legacy of this thing
2: I think there's always going to be a market for the AK um whether it's just civilian shooters or what have you there's there's probably always going to be a, a market for AKs or AK variants of some sort you know and there are a slew of of AK variants. The AK has been transformed into all sorts of things, and that the basic mechanism, I mean, there are Saiga 12 line of 12-gauge semi-automatic shotguns is based on an AK action. So, I mean, there there are just a slew of guns. The Soviets first, and then the Russians now, uh, have spent a significant amount of effort trying to develop better guns, new different kinds of guns, with with a certain amount of success in terms of building interesting functional weapons, cost gets in the way. Cost always gets in the way. When you have to replace weapons across a huge military, especially when it comes to standard-issue small arms, something that, like, everyone is going to have, and, you're, you know, you're going to need to replace a significant number of rifles, cost really gets in the way, and complexity gets in the way. And so you've seen that guns like the... Uh, AN-94, which was built sort of, you know, finalized right after the fall of the Soviet Union, was a very interesting gun with a lot of really interesting features. It had an entire setup by which the uh, propellant gases would help compensate for themselves, essentially, and try and keep the muzzle level so that it wasn't wobbling around, you know, try and, you know, correct one of these historical AK issues uh, and be able to fire two rounds more or less at the same time. It fired so fast it could fire basically, you know, there were two bullets in the barrel traveling at the same time and it was a very interesting weapon and, and a certain amount of them seem to be floating around with, with Spetsnaz units now, but there was no money to buy them uh, you know, in any great quantity and so that, that program has sort of you know, it, it's faded into obscurity. I mean, it's a there's probably more of uh, more AN94s in video games than there are in real life.
0: There's something I, I just wanted to mention because this was really, really striking to me. Um, unlike so many weapons, this one does have a, a name, as we talked about, uh, and uh, a man directly behind it. Um, whether or not he, you know, was working alone, or I mean, he really was, of course, part of a munitions uh, factory, and you know, I mean, there's only so much blame to go around for one man. But he wrote a letter uh, shortly before he died. Uh, he lived uh, to be 91, um, and he died in uh, 2012. And I just want to read just a small part of what he said. Um, I've, I keep having the same unresolved question. If my rifle claimed people's lives, Then, can it be that I, a Christian and an Orthodox believer, was to blame for their deaths? The longer I live, the more this question drills itself into my brain, and the more I wonder why the Lord allowed man to have the devilish desires of envy, greed, and aggression. So, it sounds to me like a man who... uh, may have regretted uh, what he unleashed
2: on the world. There was an interview where he talked about this as well and he said that he was not entirely ashamed of the AK-47 but that he wished he had also designed something that was non-lethal. He he suggested a lawnmower. He suggested that you know if I had if I had also developed a lawnmower, maybe that would have been nice. He
1: also um, he also in two thousand seven said that he sleeps well, and it's the politicians who are to blame for failing to come to an agreement and resorting to violence.
2: And he also lent his name to a whole line of vodka, if I remember correctly. I mean, right at the end of his life, too. There were there was Kalashnikov branded vodka being sold. So so much for my somber note. Um... <laughs> well, I think I think, but I think it's 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 probably an accurate comment. I I imagine that you can only be the the name behind the AK and not have those questions late at night every so often.
0: All right. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for a a really interesting conversation. Listeners, if
1: you like us, please rate and subscribe on iTunes. Let us know how we're doing. Give us five stars. Give us four stars. But please like, subscribe, share with your friends. If you want to keep hearing Great War College, uh, more interesting interviews, let us know how we're doing. Next time on War College.
0: I can literally go through the grocery store and I think remove at least 50% of its content if I take anything that has a military origin or influence. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts.